Hi, I'm Pastor Brady, and welcome to our first official episode of the FFSM podcast, where for this podcast episode, we are going to be beginning our eight-week lesson series called Upside Down, a series where we're taking an in-depth look into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But before we can start diving deep into the Sermon on the Mount, we first need to take a look at some of the context. With announcements out of the way, we're going to hop into our lesson. And if I haven't already said it, I do just want to say, hey, good evening. Glad you're all here. Glad you're all here for Sunday night. Hi, Kenzie. I'm glad you're here. And so if you are here, this is, at least this is really exciting for me because this marks the first night of kind of a a normal Sunday night. I don't know if there really is a normal Sunday night with us, but this is about as normal as it gets. And so I'm excited because we're going to be starting our first lesson series here tonight. And so as we start this lesson series, I have a question for you all. That question is this. When you think of some of the most famous speeches ever given, what are some of the speeches that come to mind? Reese? I have a dream. dream. Yes. Martin Luther King. What else? Kevin Durant's MVP speech. Kevin Durant's MVP speech. Was it it, it about like thanking? I just remember thanking his mom. Yeah, his mom's the real MVP. That's right. That's right. What else? What other speeches do we know? Will? What? Oh, Winston Churchill. Yeah, we remember ones like that. How about Gettysburg Address? Did you all have to like remember part of that in elementary school or middle school? I can't remember, but I feel like you had to like remember the first like paragraph of that. You had to remember the whole thing. Luke, give us one more. Douglas MacArthur's Farewell Address. I'll be honest, I'm not actually familiar with that one off the top of my head, and maybe that just shows how little history I know. I'm assuming that's history, I think. I guess I'll Google it later and find out. But yeah, some of the two that came to mind first were I Have a Dream and you know, Abe Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And the reason we remember you know, speeches like these is because those words that they would have spoken were just so powerful. They would have been so impactful to those who would have been listening in that period of time. They made such a significant impact on on history. And so even though speeches like I Have a Dream, like the Gettysburg Address, like even Kevin Durant's MVP speech, even though maybe they were amazing and impactful and inspiring, well, there's one speech in history that will always stand far and above any speech that has ever been given and any speech that ever will be given. And I'm referring to the Sermon on the Mount given by Jesus. And I know it's a sermon, not a speech, but I mean, it's pretty much the same thing. It's someone talking, other people listening. It's close enough. But the Sermon on the Mount is quite literally the most impactful sermon speech ever. Because not only did it have an incredible impact in that point in time, whenever Jesus first spoke it, but ever since then, it has been the most impactful speech there has ever been and there ever will be. And because of that, we're going to take eight weeks to really focus in on the Sermon on the Mount. And those of you, yes, you heard me correctly, eight 
weeks is how long we're going to be focusing on this. That's the longest series I've ever done on one specific topic. And I'll be honest, I had to try and cut it down to eight weeks because there is so much to the Sermon on the Mount that we can talk about. And so that's why I wanted to spend so much time on this because there is just so, so much we can learn from Jesus's words that we find in Matthew chapters five through seven. All right. So before we really start diving deep into the Sermon on the Mount, I do just want to kind of open the floor for a little bit and just ask you all, what do you know about it? What do you know about the Sermon on the Mount? What do you know? Is there anything that maybe you're familiar with, you know, from the Sermon on the Mount? What do we know? This is the most impactful speech ever. What do we know about it? Jesus was talking on a mountain. You know, the, the, it is right there in the title of it. You're exactly right. But what did Jesus say on that mountain? What made it so significant, so important? Well, I think he's talking about loving your neighbors and praying for those who persecute you. That was definitely a part of it. We'll get into that. Talking about, you know, loving your neighbors, praying for those who persecute you. That was definitely a part of it. And I will tell you, there's a whole lot more to it than just that, because this is three chapters long uh, of just incredible, incredible teachings that Jesus provides us with. And so I got to say, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, cool that not many of you are extremely familiar with it, that you're going to start naming stuff off the top of your head, because the goal by the end of this eight-week series is that whenever I ask this question again, every single hand is going to be raised, and you're going to be able to call out different parts of the Sermon on the Mount left and right. And you're going to just soon discover why this is the most impactful speech ever given in history. And so let's just go ahead and let's hop into it. So as I mentioned before, the Sermon on the Mount can be found throughout the entirety of Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And because of that, that means we're going to be starting where? Chapter 4, verse 23, right? Yeah, totally, right? Yeah, no. Well, actually, that is where we're going to be starting. And I got to say, sixth graders, I'm sorry. You're going to get used to this. I, am, uh, I, I tend to be a bit, of a, a bit of a jokester. We like, we like to joke around here. Yeah, I, I like to think I'm a little... I crack myself up. I put a little ha-ha in my own notes because I am funny. But before we can really start diving deep into the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing we need to do is to take a step back and take a look at what's happening around this point in time. And those of you who've been hearing me teach for a while, you know the drill. If you truly want to understand a certain piece of scripture that we find in the Bible, the first thing that you have to do is start figuring out the context and the setting to what's happening around that piece of scripture. And so before we get into Matthew chapter 5, we need to backtrack a little bit and See what's happening here. What's going on? What led Jesus to get up on this mountain and start talking? So we're going to read these concluding verses to chapter 4, starting at verse 23, and this is what it said. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or whatever their disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and east of the Jordan River. All right, so that's how chapter 4 concludes here. 
And so we see that Jesus, he's been traveling all around. He's been performing these incredible miracles. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons, these incredible things, this awesome stuff. And so then we just, let's just take a quick look at this map here. And I apologize those listening to the podcast, perhaps it's kind of difficult to, you know, pull up a map on an audio only platform. But here, for those of you, you can see this map where we see Galilee is right in the middle of this map. And here we see these surrounding regions that were just mentioned in that last verse. So we see the 10 towns, which here you can see it's called a Decapolis. And then we see uh, Jerusalem. And there we see Judea. And east of the Jordan River, we see Syria. All over, we see people are just flooding from all of these surrounding regions in order to come and just see Jesus, hear from Jesus, potentially have them be healed by Jesus. And it's pretty incredible to me because traveling in that time 2,000 years ago was not easy. It was not easy. It was not as simple as just calling an Uber and, you know, getting someone to take you, you know, 50 miles. It was a journey to try and get there. And so you had people from all over. But the other thing that's fascinating about this is it wasn't as simple as just someone like posting something on Instagram or TikTok saying, yo, check out this guy, and then everyone knows where to go. No, it would have been word of mouth only that people would have just been hearing about this guy named Jesus because not many people knew how to read back then. And so the main way that people would have heard about Jesus was just by, you know, someone telling someone, like, I tell Grant, and then Grant tells Will, and then Will tells Mike, and it just keeps going until soon enough, everyone in these areas know about Jesus. They hear about Jesus. And it's pretty incredible just how fast this news spread about Jesus. And you had these crowds coming from all over just to get a glimpse of Jesus. And so that leads to my next question here is, well, what kind of people would have been coming from all of these areas to just try and get a glimpse of Jesus, to try and meet Jesus? What kind of people would have been trying to meet Jesus. Who do you think? Any ideas? Luke? Yeah, hopefully everyone, if, they're, yeah, if they can learn that they can be healed about all this. Well, I thought I saw your hand. Do you have a guess? Yeah pretty much anyone who even kind of heard about it. So that, yeah, I, I realized that question was a little bit open-ended, but the specific answer that I was looking for would have been Jews. It would have been Jews because Jesus himself was a Jew. He was a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher. And so it would have been Jews coming from all around to try and hear the words from Jesus. And well, why would they want to hear this? Why would they come from all around leaving their jobs and families to go and just hear and meet this guy named Jesus. Why would they do that? Well, it's because their faith was the most important thing in their life. Like that was the most important thing in the life of a Jew. And so whenever there was news about this this new rabbi, this new teacher that was performing these incredible miracles of healing people, that was teaching in a way that no one ever had taught before, everyone, and I mean everyone, wanted a chance to just try and meet him, just get a glimpse of what this guy would have been like. 
and it kind of reminded me of something I saw about a month or two ago. So who follows the NBA in here? Some of you follow the NBA. So if I say the name Victor Wenbanyama, do you know who I'm talking about? Mike, who am I talking about? Yeah, he's a seven-foot, four-inch tall, 19-year-old guy from France. And he was just drafted number one overall in the recent NBA draft. So you can see him here in the white shirt. You can just see, like, compared to, like, these people next to him, he is just way taller than which is hilarious. To, I wouldn't even want to imagine standing next to him myself being a short king, as they say. <laughs> but Victor Wenbanyama, he is regarded as the greatest basketball prospect since LeBron James. So we're talking in the last 20 years, this kid is supposed to be the best upcoming basketball player that we've seen since LeBron James. And so everyone is freaking out about him. And so what happened is he just got drafted by the San Antonio Spurs uh, the night of the NBA draft. And then the next day, he took a flight to San Antonio just to kind of take uh, some time to learn where he's going to be living, where he's going to be playing basketball for these upcoming years in his life. And as soon as he got there, he gets off the plane and he's having, you know, security and other people escort him to where he needs to go. You can see in this picture, it's just crazy to me. You had people waiting outside this, this fenced area just so they could get a glimpse of this guy. Like, this is like a random afternoon in the middle of the week. Like, people probably took off work so they could go and just get a poor quality photo on a smartphone of this guy. I mean, people were just going crazy. And when I look at the picture like this, I'm just like, wow, who would do this just to try and follow someone? I was thinking, well, that's exactly what it would have been like for the people when they heard about Jesus. They wanted to do whatever they could to try and get a glimpse of him, to hear from him just a little bit. And so with that in mind, with Jesus, as we have this picture now, we want to picture Jesus being swarmed by crowds like this. With that visual in mind, we finally read this. We're finally in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and this is what it says. It says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. See, I told you we'd finally get to the start of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, only like almost through the entirety of my lesson. But hey, we finally made it. We made it to Matthew chapter 5. So we know a little bit about the context. And again, that's so important that we need to know before we really start diving deep. We know a little bit about the context of where this took place around that region of Galilee. We know the kind of setting of, you know, who would have been listening to Jesus talking and just to kind of give you an idea of the time, we're looking about 30 AD, you know, in the mid-30s AD is when this would have been happening. So we got a little bit of context. And so there's one more question I want us to really kind of figure out an answer to before we start diving deep into the Sermon on the Mount in the upcoming weeks. And that question is this. How are we supposed to read it? How are we supposed to read the Sermon on the Mount? Any suggestions? What do you think? Taryn, how are we supposed to read the Sermon on the Mount? With our eyes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Ian, what do you got? You read it from the Bible. There we go. I mean, that's, that's right there. We read it with our eyes. We read it from the Bible. That's as easy as that. And we just go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and then we just read with our eyes from our Bibles till we get to the end of chapter 7. So it should be that easy. 
But I'm going to tell you that it's actually not that easy. At least, I'm not going to make it that easy. Because I found the best way to read the Sermon on the Mount is not necessarily to start at the beginning and just go through to the end. I found the best way to actually read the Sermon on the Mount is to start at the end, and then you can get to the beginning and go all the way through. So I get that might seem a little weird. It might seem a little upside down. And that's the title for this eight-week series is Upside Down. Because as you're going to be discovering, as we read through and cover the Sermon on the Mount, you are going to learn that Jesus is all about challenging our way of thinking. He's all about challenging our way of thinking, pushing back what we think we may know and understand, and flipping it upside down. And so the same way, when it comes to reading the Sermon on the Mount, we got to do it a little upside down. We have to start at the end before we then go to the beginning. And I know that feels weird because we've been taught our whole lives, you can't start at the end of the book. You know, you can't open up a mystery book and just flip to the end to figure out who done it. You know, you got to read through the whole thing. You know, I've been taught my whole life, before you eat dessert, the delicious chocolate chip cookies, you got to eat the gross green vegetables first. You know, that's just, that's what we're taught. You can't just skip right to the end. But in this case, when it comes to reading the Sermon on the Mount, we just got to skip right to the end as we look to read it. And so you might be wondering, well, why do we have to do this? Let me read it for you. Let's just read it here. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 7. This is verse 24. So it goes like this. Jesus speaking to the people on the mountainside, he says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. And that is the end of chapter 7. That is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I have to say, I love the way that chapter 7 concludes. I love those final two verses right there in 28 and 29, where the people listening, they knew there was something different about Jesus. They knew that, you know, yes, they're regular teachers of the law. They would have been people of, of good faith. They would have been people who, you know, probably spoke with confidence. But Jesus, he spoke with authority. He spoke with authority because he had the authority to challenge their way of thinking and start flipping it upside down. And with his great authority, he tells them this at the conclusion. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. But if you listen to my teaching and don't follow it, it's foolish, like someone building their house on sand. And so as we look at these two verses right here, just curious, what do you think Jesus means by this? When Jesus says this, as he concludes his teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, what do you think he means? 
This is probably the easiest question I asked all night. I think, I think someone could uh, at least give me a general answer. Luke, what do you got? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. He wants us to take the lessons that we are going to be learning and taking them to heart and applying them to our lives. That, that is exactly, exactly right. And that's the mindset that I want us to have. And that's why I wanted to start here at the end before we got to the beginning. Because this is the mindset we need to look to have over these next seven weeks. We need to have this mindset of being someone that as we go through these different teachings that Jesus has for us, as we go through this, we need to have this mindset of being someone who follows it, being someone who is wise and follows it and puts it into practice and builds that house on solid rock. And so as I conclude here, I want to read a quote that I found. Uh, it's a quote that I found from St. Augustine. Some of you may be familiar with that name from some of your history classes. But St. Augustine, you know, he was this great theologian, this philosopher, author. He was uh, incredibly well-known. And he, he said this about the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought it was just really profound as he explained his perspective on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said it like this. You know, you feel like you got to read this kind of fancy-like because he would have said this back around 400 A.D., Anyone who piously and earnestly ponders the Sermon on the Mount, as we read in the Gospel according to Matthew, I believe he will find therein the perfect standard of Christian life. So again, you have to read that in a fancy voice. If you're using words like piously, I mean, come on. But... What he said here, I just found to be so profound. Because what's so cool, as we read earlier, when those people who were on that mountainside, who had the chance to hear Jesus' words right then and there 2,000 years ago, their response was pretty similar. Like, whoa, this Jesus guy, he is teaching us someone like I've never heard before. He is teaching us someone that has real authority, someone that can actually help make an impact on my life for the better. And then one of the greatest minds in history in St. Augustine, as he reads through this sermon about, you know, 400 years later in 393 AD, as he shares this quote, I just think it's incredible because in that point in time, in an incredibly different context, in an incredibly different culture and setting, he came to the same conclusion. That from the Sermon on the Mount, right there, that is the perfect standard of Christian life. And so for us, over these next seven weeks, as we're going to be breaking down the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be finding that same result right there. That the Sermon on the Mount is the perfect standard of life for us to live. I think that's a question we often ask ourselves is, what am I supposed to do in this world? How am I supposed to go about living? Well, right here's your answer. And that's why I think the best way to start the Sermon on the Mount is by starting at the end. Because as Jesus concludes this sermon, he asks a very simple question. He says, 
Are you going to follow me? Will you follow me? And over these next seven weeks, you're going to get the chance to start putting that into practice. So I hope you'll join us for that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you for your teaching. Lord, there are many questions in life that we have when it comes to what we're supposed to do in this world. And I find it amazing that those who heard your words on that mountainside 2,000 years ago, you gave them that answer. Those who read it about 400 years later, like St. Augustine, you gave them that answer. And even here in 2023 in Franklin County, PA in the United States, you're giving us the answer of how we are to live our lives. And it is my prayer that each of us that are here in this room, those of you who, anyone who might be listening at all, can just put this into practice to be wise and to build our lives on a solid foundation, building our lives on you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or you can check out our website, ffbic.org students. 